Hi everyone, I'm Rosanna and this is AFL Obsessed. How are you? Happy March. It's one of my fave months for so many reasons. I've been really feeling the hope that fresh spring kind of brings and I'm also hopeful that my super coach this year will be better the second time around since I'm still a beginner but determined. We are literally in a countdown and hours away to AFL starting, and I've just been elated and feeling the excitement all week. So there's been a lot of buzz about the season opening with new rules and lots of changes for 2021. So let's get to it and dive right into the opening overture of my overall thoughts on the week and where we're at now. So we've come full circle. It's hard to believe that we've actually hit that year mark of COVID here in the U.S. And there's so much I'm looking forward to. I'm really looking forward to getting that vaccine so I can just participate in activities with friends and maybe slight crowds. And I've wondered, too, if there will be any side effects or byproducts in the aftermath of kind of like our lingering habits that we have due to all of the adjustments we've really had to make from COVID. You know, maybe some things we don't expect, like how long will it be before we can feel comfortable next to someone without a mask on or while you're traveling in the States anyway? And I haven't hugged anyone in a while <laughs> besides Andrew. So maybe that on top of just dining with others, I don't know. But really, though, so many industries have been affected because of the virus. More than 4,000 restaurants have closed in NYC since March 2020. So for such a food destination city, this is really devastating to me. And indoor dining in the city has opened up to 50% capacity. And earlier this month, too, some indie theaters and one big chain opened up to 25% capacity. And they've also unveiled an RBG statue last week. And it's only the seventh statue in the city of a real woman. So we've got a ways to go in honoring the women from our past and the women who have really done so much for the city and nation. But now we're on to act one with new rules and predictions for the season. So there have been scratch matches and some streamlined preseason games. So we've had some early glimpses of athlete form and potential. And we are almost to the opening match, so it's very exciting, especially for people in Victoria who will get to go see the first AFL game in a year that they've been able to watch. And CEO Gil McLaughlin has expressed that the AFL is looking to reinstate traditions that are important to fans. So let's talk about the new rules. And there are five of them. One, the grand final is back to an MCG daytime fixture at 2.30 p.m., and the AFL is aiming for 100,000 fans to be at the G in September. I know we're a little ways off. And the Victorian government is currently allowing stadiums to be at 50% capacity. So 50,000 people will be allowed at that opening match, which is really exciting. So the Gabba Night Grand Final was a one-off. And I didn't love the night aspect of it, probably because, you know, the game is different from American sports. And I don't want it to be or become a copy of because the AFL to me as a sport is just truly original. And I didn't need the add-on of music, even though I am a huge music person. I just kind of want to keep it to the pure sport itself. So those are just my thoughts. But what did you guys think? And two, 20-minute quarters are back. So after the 16-minute quarters last year, the time has gone back up. I have to admit, I was torn last year because 
The games are easier to watch timing-wise since I'm watching at odd hours in the middle of the night, but overall it was less game time, so it was sad. <laughs> but yeah, I guess I have a personal reason for liking shorter quarters, but 20 minutes are what I've always known previously. And three, the man on the mark and standing rule. I'm actually really curious to know what you guys think about this, but it is a new rule that's introduced for 2021. So men on the mark are effectively banned from moving side to side and minimal lateral movement is permitted, but it's a 50 meter penalty if the ump thinks that the player has shifted too far. So it's meant to open up ball movement and assist teams moving the ball forward, making it easier for them to move the ball on quickly after taking a mark and just increased scoring and just greater flow, basically. And it does make it harder for teams to get back into defense. But I think I just really have to see this more in practice before I can really comment. Number four, limited rotation. So they've reduced the number of allowable interchanges. And it feels like this rule changes every season, at least since I've been watching. <laughs> and number five, they're considering a 23-person team a concussion or an injury sub. And at the moment, this is still in deliberation at the time of recording anyway. So assuming the rule does go through, it's kind of a strange position for the vested player to be in wanting to play and just kind of what, hoping that their teammate gets injured. So there's kind of mixed feelings about this. But those are the five new rules and changes that they've proposed. So it's looking increasingly like the 2019 season rather than a new form of the comp. And I feel like traditionalists have really won with the changes. And so far there's no footy frenzy in the schedule and less Thursday night games potentially, but things can always change as we remember it and have been through last year. And now for my predictions for the season. So I'm just gonna go through and <laughs> count down from 18 down to one who I think the premiers will be. And I'm really sorry if you're higher up on the list. I know my team is too. So 18, I do have North Melbourne. 17, I have Adelaide. 16, Hawthorne. 15, Sydney. 14, Melbourne. 13, Essendon. 12, Fremantle. 11, I have Collingwood. So I do think that they take a tumble this season. And 10, I have GWS, 9, Carlton. And I know this might be surprising, but 8, I do have the Gold Coast Suns. I do think that they are going to climb up this season. 7, West Coast. 6, the Bulldogs. 5, I have St. Kilda. And for my top four, I'm sure there will be a lot of debates about this, but I do have Geelong. 3, Richmond. 2, Brisbane and one I'm giving to Port Adelaide. <laughs> By the way, I just looked over the standings at the end of last year, and I realized that my top four are in the order of the top four last year, so that's hilarious, but accidental. And in my mind, I guess this is what will happen. I mean, can anyone tell me if the top four has ever repeated from a previous year? I'm totally being serious. I don't know the answer to that. So if someone can just fill in that piece of trivia and footy info gap for me. And now for the Wooden Spoon, Brownlow, and Rising Star. The Wooden Spoon I've given to North Melbourne. For the Brownlow... Dusty's been looking extra fierce in the preseason. I just really feel like Richmond's going to be hard to beat this season. 
For the rising star, I think he's still eligible. So Maddie Rowell, who I would just really love to win it personally. Okay, so (laughs) do you think I'm way off the mark? I'd love to know your thoughts and also who you've kind of pegged for the season to be the premiers and also to get the spoon, the Brownlow, and the rising star. So AFLFootyObsessed at Gmail if you'd like to share your thoughts, and AFL Obsessed on Twitter. Okay, so it's intermission, so quickly during this time, let's just cut away to other sports. Kim Ang is Major League Baseball's first female GM, so that's exciting just as the season is about to start. I really love seeing a female in that role, and you know I always got hope for the Mets, so off we go (laughs) with another chance. As for basketball, March Madness is starting, if you follow. And as for the NBA, the Nets signed another major player, Blake Griffin. So they're basically buying a championship, but I'm not mad about it. (laughs) And as for football news, there's been a lot of drama surrounding the quarterback season trades and all the deals being worked out. But Dallas did just re-sign their quarterback for roughly 160 mil. And Gronk is also playing for another year. So just crazy stacks on stacks when you think about like all those contracts. And now we're on to act two with a discussion about the sports docu-series Making Their Mark that I'm currently watching and I hope you are too. I'm trying to spread out the watch so I can really savor the topics and also just process what happens. I didn't just binge the series outright like I probably typically would have. So the Amazon Prime docuseries Making Their Mark is available, and it says season one with seven episodes. And I'm just so incredibly proud of the way that the game is showcased and celebrated with inspiring stories and all of the people that they selected to highlight too. So there's a myriad of viewpoints from the game. They've chosen people in admin, they've chosen a president, a CEO, different coaches, players, their spouses, and some of their families. And obviously, as you know, some of my favorite people are featured, but it's been a really great peek behind the curtain. I think we've all been just longing for this type of access and to that degree for some time. And I don't know about you, but I genuinely appreciate that they chose the very singular year that was 2020 to capture. Also, it may be the most meaningful of all of the AFL documentaries that I've ever seen since I was alive and personally witnessed what went down as a fan in the year that they spotlighted. So there's some really great insight There's really impressive production values. I mean, Amazon money, baby. And I really am loving reliving the cityscapes, the familiar ones that I've been to since we can't travel internationally at the moment. And the documentary kind of really makes you feel like they're taking you around the country. So at least to me, it feels like you're traveling around. And I've only watched four episodes so far, but I kind of wanted to share some of my observations and what I've been thinking Because I feel like I'm not really able to spoil this since we all already know technically what happens. So in Like No Other episode one, it was really kind of surreal to watch the lead up and round one of last season and kind of seeing everyone's reactions in real time with so much of the unknown, exactly one year to the COVID day of reckoning. 
here in the U.S. So it really was, as I said, a full circle moment where we see how we went through that time and honestly how far we've come. But the info really did keep changing daily and nobody really seemed to have more info than anyone else. And maybe kind of some of the anxiety and fears that are attached to that. And then when the gavel kind of fell to pause footy at the end of round one, I personally was really struck with that image of the players at the Optus Stadium just sitting on the grass after the game, not wanting to go home and basically into the unknown. I mean, I'm sure you all as fans kind of hung on to the hope that I did because you all relived it with me on the pod and we went through it together, but I just really felt so hard for that haunting image. With that slight doomsday feel and a little bit of foreboding in the air, And also, I remember exactly where I was when I saw all of the press conferences that Gil gave. So we really get to see all of the lead up and a dramatic 10 days out and down to the start of the season. And then in episode two, Home Truths, you get to see how everyone is progressively adjusting to isolation, much like we probably did ourselves with a gradual slide to a more virtual life where you see the players working out together on Zoom and all of the testing that they had to go through on a weekly basis. I think what really struck me was just our gratitude for the players who were having to play for half of their income, willingly or otherwise, while being reminded constantly that they should be grateful. So it was really emotional seeing world events too, in this episode, and I really appreciated that they showed what was happening in the States and in other places. But really just seeing the impact of global events on the clubs themselves, there were moments that were just so emotional in this episode for me as an American. And especially seeing the players express themselves and taking knees at all of the games, it was just as powerful seeing that then as it is now. And they really delved more into different coaching styles too. Some of the specific moments that I loved though were Eddie Betts highlights as safety dad and singing along to country in his car. So it was really interesting to see the rules and restrictions that players had of kind of the lines of division where, you know, they were dictated and restricted who the players could be around in practice but just seeing the practical application of that. So we all heard the rules as fans, but we didn't really know like what that meant. So Eddie could be adjacent to his family on the playground, but he couldn't be on the playground, which does seem very black and white when they're doling out the rules. But in reality and practice, I don't think it was that clear. So I think it was kind of hard for all the players to interpret But Eddie was watching his daughter kind of climb higher and higher on the playground. And then he just kept saying, okay, I'm safety dad. So I'm going to have to turn my back around because I can't watch this. And meanwhile, he's just this fierce player. And it's just really funny to see him being like a dad too. And that dynamic, it was really sweet. But also seeing Eddie's reaction to that tweet and Gil's call to Eddie just to check if he was okay. You know, and telling him you're the most popular player in the AFL, we've done research on it, so we know that. But there was a racist tweet that went out about Eddie last season, I'm sure all of you remember. And 
just to see the way that the AFL and the team and the coaches let him know it wasn't right and they were all going to support whatever his decision was about whether or not to press charges. The way that they just shot that whole arc, I think, was really relatable. And I also think if somehow you didn't know much about him, it's impossible not to love Eddie after watching this series. But another part that really stood out to me was Nick Nat and his story where he called his sister to see her family just before leaving, and he had to wave to them from the driveway. And then when he got to the hub, just sleeping on the floor. And I can relate to that in a very different way. But Nick Nat basically confessed that when he is traveling and playing in a hotel room, he will sleep on the floor and he'll put the sheets on the ground. And then just so that housekeeping doesn't find it weird, I think he'll just kind of mess with the bed a little. But I used to do aerial silks and tissue training, and it's one of the most taxing things you can do to your physique. And I just remember someone saying that they had slept on the ground because it's really the firmest surface. There's no bed that can mimic that. And I think I just did that one night. I don't know if I laid out a sleeping bag or just slept on top of a yoga mat, but that was literally how I would correct my alignment every time I felt like maybe my body just kind of got pulled out of whack. So I wouldn't do it that often, but it was definitely something that would be strange to anyone else. And obviously I don't do that now, but it was really relatable to me. But my takeaway from the second episode which is really all of the connections and bonds between the teammates and their coaches and their families. And you really get the sense that it really does take a village to pull off success in the players' minds, both on and off the field. So episode three was called You Can't Get Sick of Winning. I love these titles and the way that they sometimes came up with them, especially if it was like a direct quote from the episode. But I've said that if I were a player, I would want to play for Stu Do. Although someone has already pointed out <laughs> that my feelings might change after episode five, which is the next episode I've yet to see. But for now, I just really like that he doesn't talk down to his players. And you can tell he really respects their time and values their training and their hard work. And he almost treats them like younger brothers or maybe like his cousins, the way he talks to them, where it's all coming from a place of love, it seems like. <laughs> so in this episode, they're digging deeper into the process and showing more footy and also highlighting the different coaching styles and the coach's communication. And I really think anyone who's randomly stumbling on the series especially here in America, is going to be hooked on the game itself if you are watching any of these episodes. As far as the coaches go, though, Leon Cameron, I don't know, maybe it's just me, I don't really gel with his coaching style. He's probably the most contrarian, and I just wasn't feeling his style. Simpson really seemed to be on the player's level, and he has this really great mix of being strong and sensitive and fair as like a really compassionate coach and a clear communicator. And I loved that Matthew Nix too was kind of joking about like this little Ruck incident that happened later. And Hardwick is just always inspiring. But I really loved the opposition and strategy meetings where you can really see how training can be a mindset for elite athletes. 
and what really drives a team and what really matters to the teammates and the coaches and kind of how to go about driving standards. My favorite moment was Birdo's phone disaster. So I'm sure you all remember just one of the funniest things to happen last season was Riley O'Brien, the Ruckman from Adelaide, went to his opposition meeting and he got all these notes about kind of really just how to strategically play against Nick Nat, who is just one of the best Ruckman in the comp from West Coast. And Birdo just put all of the notes into a note on his iPhone and somehow his phone being completely broken where he could barely see the screen anyway, the note actually got published as a tweet on Twitter. And it was just kind of how he was hyping himself up to like the things he was saying about Nick Nat potentially being unfit and lazy just to help himself get his mind focused and to train for that specific game which obviously then everybody saw it. And I remembered being super shocked. And then he came out with this really sweet video about how it was an accident and he had kind of a mare. And so that was just one of the funniest moments, but just to see it from the opposite end where the entire team saw it and was just kind of laughing about it. And then getting to see Nick Nat present him a phone with no hard feelings after the game, but also Nick Nat seeing it too was really hilarious. And episode four, Stop Playing Soft. It was increasingly tougher and tougher through these episodes just to see Canelio's foray into the leadership space, kind of magnifying his struggles. And I just really empathize with him because I think we've all worked for someone who was just starting to become a leader. And I know when I was trying to find my way as a manager, you just sometimes feel like there's no manual that really helps you with your style or developing it beyond learning within the role itself. And it's tough to lead when you're like the blind leading the blind, especially with Canelio, just trying to get his body right, not knowing what was going to happen throughout the year, all of the COVID implications. So those segments were just the toughest and kind of painful for me personally. And seeing completely empty offices at the clubs with the reality of club staff being laid off when I've just said previously, you know, it takes a village to keep the clubs functioning. So it really showcased in this episode what athletes go through with healing and recovery and how teams go about setting their expectations for success as a team and how that's reflected on and off the field. And also it was interesting seeing how everyone dealt with that Victorian lockdown too. So there were a lot of anxieties and the unknown where you really didn't have too many answers and you really got the sense that there is a price that you have to pay in order to keep a sport going. But at some point you have to make sure that that price is worth paying and they're also playing for a higher purpose than just themselves. But really you get a sense of all the work and energy that goes into supporting your club athletes. And I think I'm just overall encouraged by the fact that there are implied future seasons. It looks like they said season one. So hopefully we'll have more of a peek into some of the other clubs and coaches, especially this season when we're kind of getting back to what seems to be a more normalized one. And now for the curtain call in the spotlight segment. So I just want to throw some beams on Bruce McAvaney, who announced his retirement last month from AFL commentating and is widely considered Australia's best sports commentator with over four decades of involvement in media and is basically just a national treasure to me. (laughs) He's got one of the most recognizable and beloved voices on Australian TV 
And his voice is the one that I've most associated with footy because it's like the standard one I've been familiar with since I started watching. So there's no differentiating between Bruce and his voice and footy to me. So his retirement call was really sad for me. But a little about Bruce. He grew up in Adelaide in a family of sports lovers, and he knew from the age of five that he wanted to be a race caller. Because growing up, he wanted to call the Melbourne Cup, play test cricket, and play league football. So Bruce says in a way he's been practicing all his life to do the job that he's doing now. And his uncle gave him a scrapbook of horses when he was young, and he used to pour over them and ask questions about the horses and have all kinds of conversations about racing. So it was Bruce's first love and still is. And in 1976, during a day off of work, Bruce traveled to Victoria to bet on some races. And there he met Kevin Hillier, an Adelaide race caller, who suggested that Bruce help him out back in Adelaide. So this launched his career in sports media, where he joined Adelaide radio station 5DN, calling horse races and later hosting a sports show. And from 1981 until 1983, Bruce was the chief sports presenter for Seven News in Adelaide, and he was also the lead commentator of their telecasts for The Sandfall. And in late 1983, he moved to Melbourne, where he joined 10 Melbourne to read sports news. And the following year, he was the secondary host, and he commentated on track and field events at the 1984 LA Olympics for the 10 Network. So I thought that was a really cool American connection and tie-in. And in 1989, Bruce negotiated a two-year premature end to his contract with 10, and he returned to the 7 Network. And since his return to 7, Bruce has hosted and called a broad range of the network's sports coverage, including the Melbourne Cup, World Athletes Championships, Motor Racing, the Australian Open, and Australian Masters. And he was the MC of the Brownlow Medal for over two decades between 1990 and 2018. So for the last four decades, he has called some of Australia's greatest sporting moments. And outside of footy, Bruce has called all Summer Olympic Games from Barcelona 92 to Rio 2016, except London in 2012 because Seven didn't have the rights to those games. And his extensive history covering Olympic Games has led to the nickname Mr. Olympics. And my favorite quote he said a couple of years ago when he was 65, I don't think that age should be a handbrake on ambition. And by ambition, I don't mean get more money or a bigger job. I mean, do a better job. I still feel like I can get better. And while some of my biggest events might be behind me, my best work might still be ahead. But here are some of his highlights. Good hands right now. Ablett. Milburn. They're running out of volunteers by the look of it. Franklin still with Buddy. Well done, Scarlett. Still with Franklin, though. Now, Drew could kick this, and he has. He's had the best five minutes of his footy life, and that includes the 04 Grand Final. Might be able to really cement themselves. Virtual beautiful to Bruce. Bruce thinking about it, and then kicks to centre-half forward, neat looking, oh yes, Cyril takes a special, and goes bang, it's a beautiful thing. Forward, big fly, bird, Gordes, could he roll it through, he can, come with the moment, come with the 
champion. And then he got the fall out of it. The, the will and the contested footy of Lenny Hayes to uh, in this second half, as, as he's done so many times for St Kilda. Schneider, here is Hayes, belting forward. Got up. So to Bruce, we say encore for continuously breaking not legs, but ground in the sport and country. And just FYI, I'll be doing the spotlight segments during season as interview episodes by themselves, like the last episode with Peggy O'Neill, just during season. So there'll be a little bit meatier of content. And now it's the after show where I'm just going to scramble and get my team together for super coach. And I'll be watching around 2 a.m. I think my time for the clash between Richmond and Carlton. Definitely let me know how you're doing with your super coach team, where you're at for the season, and maybe what episodes you've been watching. AFL footy obsessed at Gmail and AFL obsessed on Twitter if you want to chat. But that's it for me. Thanks for listening and hanging around for the show, everyone. Stay safe and healthy. Check on your friends and neighbors. We'll get through this like footy. I'm virtually hugging you and we'll talk footy soon.